Well, Psalm 5, verses 7 and 8. I am going to begin in verse 4 for context as we read the Word of God. Hear now the very holy Word of God written for you and for me today. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. In fear of you, I will worship towards your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before my face. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word to us. Well, beloved in Christ, it is good and right for the Christian to be faithful in regularly seeking our Lord in prayer. It should be our desire to cry out verbally to him like David did in times of plenty and in times of want, when we are joyful as well as when we are in distress. It's also right to be faithful in godly meditation. The emphasis being on that which is godly, and in the context of Psalm 5, that which is a form of prayer. There are many pagan religions today, especially of the Eastern variety, that encourage people to empty themselves and look within as they go into an altered state of consciousness in that form of what they refer to as meditation. However, the meditation that David speaks of is quite the opposite and different, isn't it? Christians must never engage in such pagan practices as we know that we don't need to look within for our hearts, we already know, are dark and wicked. Romans 1, 21 teaches us that. Our minds are filled with all kinds of lusts and, and sinful desires, Paul teaches us in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. As Christians, we must put our flesh to death, and where must our gaze be? It needs to be outside of ourselves and to and upon our mediator and our intercessor, Jesus Christ, and all that he calls us to meditate on. The godly meditation David speaks of is the silent groaning of our heart to the Lord. And like David, we should desire God to consider and to discern our meditations as we direct our prayers to him and have patient hopeful expectation as we await his answer in his timing. David entered his times of prayer every morning, he said, and so should we, we knowing and confessing the holiness of our God to him. Again, David's songs, his prayers should help us with ours. We need to see the sinfulness of sin in light of the holiness of God. Beloved, hear that because that is one of the most important things that we need to remind ourselves of very frequently, even every day, don't we? That 
we need to see the sinfulness of sin in light of the holiness of God. In his holiness, what is true of God? God doesn't take pleasure in wickedness, nor can it dwell with him. It cannot abide in his presence. In fact, no wicked sinner, David said, can stand in his sight. No sinner can stand in God's temple without a substitutionary sacrifice. And so we praise the Lord for Jesus Christ. We praise the Lord that we can enter into the holy place, the holiest of holies, into the throne room of God, even in prayer, because of Christ. No sinner can stand in his presence apart from him, for he is and has a holy hatred of such wicked sinners. Judgment and destruction will be their end. Now, David knew that though he was a sinner, he wasn't better than anyone else. And yet he also knew that he was in a covenant relationship with his Lord. And therefore, we see in today's text that he could enter into God's presence and not be destroyed. And so let's consider David's coming into God's house in his mercy in verse 7a. His worshiping God in fear in verse 7b. As well as his desire to be led in God's righteousness in verse 8. Look what he says in 7a regarding coming into God's house. He says, but as for me... I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. Notice that David begins here, but as for me. David knew and he verbally confessed that he was different from the wicked that he had just spoken about solely because of the grace of God. For God would rightly destroy him for his sin, he would have had the same fate as the wicked if God did not have compassion on him and if God did not save him. Asaph wrote in Psalm 78, beginning in verse 38, saying this, But he, referring to God, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and did not destroy them. Yes, many a time he turned his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. And why? Look at verse 39. For he remembered that they were but flesh, a breath that passes away and does not come again. The Lord knows our frame. The Lord knows that we are but dust. We are but a vapor. But yet, the compassion of the eternal God The compassion and love of the God that he has for his people is amazing. Beloved, we too know the grace and compassion of God toward us in Christ. And by divine grace, we have been saved through faith in Jesus Christ, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And praise the Lord that God's holiness doesn't drive us in terror away from God, but rather welcomes us. To, to cleave to him. And therefore, because of God's compassion toward him, because of the salvation that God gave him, David knew that he was welcome and was resolved to go to the house or literally the temple 
of his Lord. See how David was faithful to stay close to God and desired to worship him. That that should be a heart desire of all of God's redeemed. That we too say, I was glad when he said, let us go to the house of the Lord. Coming to the house of the Lord should something be something we run to. Not that we're dragged to. And if we remember the sinfulness of sin and the holiness of God, and in light of that, the welcome of God because of Jesus Christ to come into his presence and to worship him in spirit and in truth, all spirit wrought, we will be all the more thankful and give all the more praise and glory to our God because he works in us to desire to come to his house and to worship him. This again put David in contrast with the wicked that God hates. For the wicked hate God's holiness. They rebel against his justice and they despise his worship. Notice how David said that he would approach the holy presence of God. He doesn't plead his own righteousness as the basis that God would hear him. No, he would come into God's house pleading the multitude of divine mercy. The multitude of divine mercy. In Psalm 86, verse 15, we read, But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious long-suffering, and abundant in mercy and truth. The people sang, the people of God sang in Exodus 15, verses 11 through 13, saying this, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. But note verse 13. You in your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. The Lord calls his people to come. And he leads us to come. He brings us to his holy place. That we would do what is pleasing in his sight in worshiping him. We well know that in Christ, God doesn't treat us as we deserve, and that is what we must think of first as we consider the multitude of his mercy. For that is mercy. He doesn't treat us as we deserve. This is his great and abundant mercy toward us. Remember that God's mercy toward us points us to his covenant loyalty, his covenant faithfulness. And though we be unfaithful, though in that unfaithfulness among many other sins and law-breaking that we do, even in the midst of that, we are the unfaithful. But he is faithful, he is loyal, he is merciful. David knew its vast presence and blessing as well. And because of the abundant mercy God extended to him, 
It was David's chief joy to come into his house. David proclaims exactly this in Psalm 122, verse 1, referenced it just a few moments ago, but hear it again. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. So I ask you, beloved, do you recognize tonight that it's because of God's mercy that you, who are worthy of judgment in and of yourself, can come confidently and joyfully into his presence? The mercy of God is great, much greater than we can ever imagine. And it is extended to us in Christ. And he says, come. David had such joy and resolution. He would go faithfully to God's house. And what would he do? Look at the second half of that verse in 7b. In fear of you, I will worship towards your holy temple. Now, why and how can God's people approach the holy presence of the living God? Because of and in his mercy. And how would David and how must we worship the Lord as we're in his presence? David says here, in fear. Beloved, if you do not worship the Lord, you have neglected the most important thing in all of life. The most important thing that we do every day is reading his word, praying to him, singing his praise. The most important thing that you do every Lord's Day is to worship the Lord publicly in his house together. Be resolved with David to worship the Lord in his house with the greatness of his mercy and in fear. How much this is comprised and left or compromised and left behind by many in the church today. Some of you may wonder or have asked yourself, I wonder why Elder Lovelady or Elder Lewis or Pastor, why, why do we keep bringing up family worship and the regularity that that needs to have in our lives? Why do we keep talking about private worship? And why do we use those terms? It's because of passages and truths like this. We should be worshiping the Lord every day, whether it's in private, in our quiet time with him, in reading, in prayer, in song, in families. As we lead our families, men, in the worship of God, in prayer, and reading, and in song. And then bringing and even leading our families here to worship. Again, gathering together as families and individuals in prayer and reading and hearing the preached word of God in song. Though this may be compromised and left behind in many in the church today, let's be committed that that not be true of us. For some of us, that may require change in our lives and in our priorities, carving out time to do those things. But it's worth it. It's important. Worshiping the Lord is the most important thing that we can do in life. Seeking his face, 
seeking to walk with him as he works within us. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, the writer exhorts us. He says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence in godly fear. Solomon teaches us in Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. We may know that. We may be very familiar with that. But the fear of the Lord must be the position in which we worship him. See that. The fear of the Lord should call our thoughts away from all other things and, and, and focus our attention on this most important and holy duty of worship. We pray often that the Lord would remove distractions as we come to worship. And that's important. We pray often that the Lord would work in us by his spirit to help us worship him as we ought. And that is good and important, and we desire that. But this should have much gusto and zeal behind that and focus and attention given to it. We should come before the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And as we have such godly fear in worship, we revere his majesty and all that he is. We take great care to, to worship, therefore, in a manner that pleases him. And so you may notice also in this church that we guard our worship. That is the duty of your session. We guard the worship of God that it may be done rightly in accordance with his word. When David says that he would worship toward God's holy temple, notice that he was also proclaiming that he would look towards it when he couldn't come to it. Remember, Daniel carried out a similar practice in Daniel 6, verse 10. We read there, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with the windows open toward Jerusalem, which is where the temple was, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. And so David, too, was resolved to come in God's mercy to worship and fear. And notice now in verse 8, he pleads with God to be led by him. He says in verse 8a, Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. See how when David extended his plea to be led by God, that it wasn't just a part-time deal. Or only to involve some parts of him but not others. No, all of him, all the time. Lead me, Lord, I'm yours. Lead me in your righteousness. He desired that God would lead and direct his heart, his counsel, his thoughts, the, the whole course and the, the whole host of actions in his life. This was similar to what Jesus did when he called his disciples, isn't it? He told each one of them to do what? To follow him. 
And as they did, they showed their earnest desire to do so, but also that they followed where Jesus led them. They didn't necessarily know where he was going and where his next destination was, but he did. He said, follow me. They too were all in to be guided and taught by Christ. In Psalm 25, verses 4 and 5, we read this, Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. Beloved, have you ever thought about the words of that text and that plea, that desire more deeply or studied that out? To contemplate what the psalmist is really saying here. See the repetition. Show me your ways. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. We should desire to be led by the Lord. And that is good. That is right. And if he did nothing else, it would be wonderful. But that isn't everything, is it? He leads us and he teaches us. As he leads us, he is speaking his truth to us. And his spirit is applying it in our hearts and in our lives. He is growing us. He is giving us the knowledge of him and his word. As he leads us. As we follow. Psalm 31 verse 3 says this, For you are my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for your name's sake, lead me and guide me. Consider that connection as well. It's wonderful, isn't it? For you are my rock and my fortress. It's on those grounds. It's on those grounds of you being my surety, on, of you being my rock, my, my strong tower, my, my fortress. Therefore, lead me and guide me for your name's sake. See this multifaceted aspect of our covenant relationship with God. He leads, he, prote- he provides, he protects, he teaches. He shows us where we need to go and how we need to go there. For he is with us. So as David asked to be led by God, so should we. Father, lead me should be our plea. Show me where I should go. Direct me. Lead me to walk in your righteousness by faith and not in my righteousness. Father, lead me to walk in your way, not mine, according to your will, not mine. How often we get that backwards and we default to our way and our will instead of his and our desires. We would rather lead ourselves, which in many ways is the blind leading the blind. But when God leads, he is leading us in his path of light. He is leading us in his path of truth. He is leading us in the righteous and the good way. The only way that we should want to follow. 
And so why did David ask to be led by God in his righteousness? Notice the end, or the, set, the last phrase there in 8a, because of his enemies. David makes a similar statement for the same reason in Psalm 27, verse 11, when he says, Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. And so as we consider these two passages, as we consider 8a and and even Psalm 27, what is it about David's enemies and ours as well that would give good reason for this plea? They can be so crafty and cunning, our enemies can. They can be so malicious and mischievous. Without God's help and grace, the snares that they lay for us would surely entrap us. We need the righteous guidance of the good shepherd to help us to walk rightly and to obey his commands. And so connected to his plea to be led, David asks for God's straight path. Notice, look at 8b. Make your way straight before my face. David walked in accordance with Proverbs 3, verses 4 and 5. We know that well here at Afresh tonight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall do what? Direct your paths. See each piece in this passage and see it clearly. David trusted and leaned on God. He acknowledged him and prayed for his divine direction. And so David asked for a clear path so he could walk in it. And importantly, along with being led by God in his righteousness, see how David desired the Lord's way and not his. So often we can miss and not see the way that we need to go. We desperately need God to shine light on his straight way, on the smooth path, to successfully navigate through the dangers and the minefields in this life so that we can be faithful in doing what is pleasing in his sight and not get trapped in those things that we do not see or that we were lured into. Beloved, I want to encourage you tonight. Praise God that you are set apart and different from the wicked that you have been called out of. Praise God for the boundless mercy that he has extended to you in Christ, the salvation that is yours in him. And because of Christ's grace and mercy, you are a recipient of his love, not his holy hatred. And therefore, praise him for the open welcome that you have into his throne room, into his very presence. Do you even have the desire to go into his house with joy and thanks and worship him? Does the fear of the Lord fuel your worship? I want to encourage you to ponder that tonight. We think about the passages in Proverbs that teach us about the fear of the Lord, being the beginning of knowledge and wisdom, 
and other passages that teach us about the fear of the Lord. But here we see this unique aspect. It's not only here in, in Scripture, but we see this unique aspect of us worshiping in fear and in awe and reverence. Do David's words convict you tonight? We all should be convicted. For do you rightly worship him in fear? The fear of the Lord doesn't belong in our focus in all other, in, in all other aspects in life and service except worship. No, it must be present and active here too. As you approach God rightly, by his grace, you will worship him rightly and be sent forth with a desire to walk rightly and being led by him. When was the last time that you asked God to lead you? You may honestly be trying to be the captain of your own ship in life right now. You may feel like you're steering your ship in circles and not making any progress or maybe even veering off course, although you may desire that any such veering would not be too devastating. But what you need is to be led by Jesus. What I need is to be led by Jesus. And so may that be our plea. Call upon him to do so tonight. And as you do, are you ready to follow him as he leads you down the straight path in his righteousness? Never forget, when light is needed, he will make your path clear. I've heard many people and counseled many people over the years who ask me, Pastor, I don't know where to go. The path seems dark and dim. I'm not sure where my steps should go ahead. Beloved, the Lord gives his light and his word. He works through his spirit in your life to illuminate that path. When light is needed in his timing, according to his will, You will see that, and the path will be made clear. Continue to trust in him, continue to seek him, continue to worship him, and continue to seek to be led by him. He will not let you down. He will never make you lost. He will never cause you to lose your way. He will lead you in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Stay on his path and praise him for his loving kindness. If you're anything like me, or maybe you struggle with inattention and impulsiveness, and like some, you see a squirrel and you're often looking for it. You're thinking, oh, well, look over there. I know I need to go this way. Whoa, hey, what's that? And off you go, and you find yourself in the weeds. Here, spiritually and similarly, we see the path of the Lord is straight. It's not crooked. The way of the wicked, the way of sin is crooked. But Christ makes the path straight. 
It is the straight and narrow way that leads to the narrow gate. It is the path that he leads you on and will guide you on. And so stay on that path as you follow him and praise him for his guidance as he leads you in righteousness. Amen. Praise God for his word. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, you are to be praised. You are to be praised for who you are and all that you are and your mercy to us. O oh Lord, we do not deserve it, but we cannot but thank you for your abundant love because of Jesus whom you sent to us, O oh Lord, that you would redeem us from the pit, that you would call us out from among the wicked to serve you as a holy people. Lord, may we be like David. And in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of the vying affections, and the things that would even distract us or try to keep us away from your house on the Lord's day, may we put all those things aside by your grace, Lord, and may we come, may, may we run to the house of the Lord to be with your people in your presence because it is wonderful, it is beautiful, it is in obedience to your call. May we worship you in fear and desire to be led by you, O oh, great and gracious King, the faithful one. You are so kind to us. May our eyes not wander from you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.